what we have to talk about this week. What do we have to talk about this week? So I mentioned it on this week's Gymquisition video, but for anyone who listens to this who hasn't watched <laughs> that, which, let's face it, these days could be half the listeners. Um, just to, to announce here as well, because obviously we're very excited. <laughs> I'm pregnant. <gasps> yep, yep. Congratulations. To quote Tommy Wiseau, we're expecting. Uh, my friend Ollie's been super proud of me. Uh, I have had so many congratulations. Um, as, as I mentioned on this week's Gymquisition video, uh, the HRT meds I'm on, the, the newer stuff they put me on, has convinced my body it's pregnant. Oh, yeah. I was wondering what the hell was going on a couple of weeks ago when I suddenly got car sick, which I don't get. I was on my way to a wrestling gig, and here's where it's going to be a problem, because my wrestling career involves a lot of car travel. Y- you can't wrestle uh, while pregnant. That's dangerous. <laughs> that's true. I've got to think about the baby. That's uh, right. So... Steph, as a fellow person who never used to get motion sick and car sick and then started because of HRT and has to live with that, um, I'm going to have to recommend you the most unflattering glasses in the world that have spirit levels built into them because they're the only thing that makes me not feel ill when driving anymore. You say that's unflattering. In my mind, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh... Spirit level glasses. I'll look into that. Thank you. I'm going to throw an image of some in the chat. They're fascinating and they definitely could have found a better way to design these things. Can't wait to have a look at this. Oh. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, Steph could work those. If I just start dressing like Poindexter from Felix the Cat, I'll be able to pull that off. The thing I don't know if is visible in that image is the fact that there are spirit levels on the sides as well, not just the front. Yeah, like over yeah. the ears, even. you got to get them along your peripheral vision. It's okay. fantastic. I'll look into that. I, obviously, I've had a lot of uh, medical advice from the internet. Yeah. I mean, you could make a whole new wrestling costume around these. They're amazing. I could. <laughs> I mean, who knows if... I, I, I better not... I, I thought, actually, because I had a wrestling gig this weekend, I really thought I was going to chunder in the yeah. ring. I had to stop the car several times getting to um, uh, Blackpool. Um, as I said on uh, this week's video, I was traveling with a friend of mine who like, I really like and was like going out of my way to be sexy at all day. And it's not not working, but really blew it at the end when I blew chunks onto his toothbrush. There's been a lot of changes as a result of my body now believing it's proper prego. There's the car sickness, uh, lot, obviously lots of physical changes, brain chemical changes. Oh, yeah. I have never considered, like I am attracted to men. I've never been interested in a relationship with one. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, have a bit, have a, have a bit of a suck on, on the end of his knob-knob. <laughs> be like, right, <laughs> I'm full up, thanks. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. Well, it won't be yum, 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 because honestly, you, you think it's going to be good every time, and then you get it in your mouth, and you're like, oh, God, why did I think this was a treat? Um, but, like, lately my brain chemicals are in such a position where I'm like, I should have a boyfriend. I should have a male boyfriend, please. Um, so that's been an interesting situation. But yeah. I think the best thing about... 
I mean, it's a, it's it's weirdly affirming, but really inconvenient at the same time because obviously it's inspired a lot of good changes. Laura, I think you you started progesterone. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, any time you make any changes to the mix of hormones going on in you, it's fun to see what roulette of things yes. is going to happen. <laughs> it's what list of new things will I get to experience and have to deal with? Indeed, I as a wrestler, it's interesting. Well, I think I mentioned this last week. Like I'm constantly having to go back over my move set to cope with like physical changes like because my body just changes shape but yeah i think first of all the potential to milk this for comedy value is through the roof boston's favorite son will roll around eventually Um, (laughs) people on the uh stephanie sterling discord are already excited about the uh the potential there but that leads me on to the fact that because the actual baby component doesn't exist, yeah, I get to decide who the father is. <laughs> There's a lot of candidates, isn't there, Conrad? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I can. I, is there a lot of candidates, or is there one candidate? Well, nine <laughs> of the candidates are Jonathan Holmes from <laughs> yeah from MTV's Road Rules and uh, Boston's Favorite Son, and that talking. Talking to women about video games podcast that he does to, in his own words, score some slizz. Uh, <laughs> he's never said that. <laughs> I am pretty much going to finger every man in my life, and I'm also going to blame him. Claim they're the dad. father, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Conrad, yeah, are you yeah. going to make an honest woman of me? If um, we are going to raise this baby. Because it's a big responsibility now, Conrad. You've got to buy imaginary shoes mm-hmm, and take mm-hmm. it for imaginary walks every day. I, I don't know. Um, it's probably the best that the baby is imaginary because I think it would end up dead in a week. Yeah, yeah I, I'm going to step up to all of the necessary responsibilities because that's the kind of guy I am. I mean, That's the kind of imaginary guy you are. That's right. <laughs> That sounded so backhanded. I know it wasn't intended that way, but oh, Conrad, you're such a good imaginary man. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, I suppose that is that. Um, that's today's... I think there's rerun potential in this. I am not done enjoying being pretend pregnant. Um, yeah, that sounds really... I mean, I already suffer from car sickness. It's gotten yeah. to the point, like, because I, I stopped driving now 10 years ago, and um, I can't even be a passenger in anybody's car for any length of time, seemingly, without having to take a Dramamine first. Like, it's just... Dramamine. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna need it, because I fucking... I was keeping a lid on it all day. I had to be in a car many times, oh. and was suppressing it but then later that evening i had a cheeky joint and that made like the stuff they have in manchester is really good and it made my head spin a little and that was it Mm. the slight head spin Mm -hmm. was the final bit of motion that that led to the issues well yeah i mean you remember 
you remember me in the back of that mm. that car of those lovely people who drove us back from the Boglin exposi- oh, yeah. uh, exhibition up in upstate New York. Yeah. yeah, and I'm chundering in the back of their car. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that was terrible. Yes. I mean, it would have well, been nice if they'd had some shocks on that vehicle, but but it, they were kind enough to give us the ride. Stop criticizing them years later for their kindness. <laughs> I still have a photo of their dog. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm still really bitter about that guy that bought that Boglin I wanted before mm. I got there, that fucking mm-hmm. Boglin statue. How dare um, someone at the Boglin event buy a Boglin? Fucking oh. cunt. Fucking twat, Laura. <laughs> I won't brook it. Right, so <laughs> I am pregnant. I'm going to milk it, quite literally. Uh, it takes some effort, but eventually I'll get enough to take to market. Uh, nice. Moving on, I suppose, yeah, with this podcast. Well, yeah, welcome to Podquisition. It's yeah. a it's a show. We talk about we talk about video games, usually. Uh, who's, who's played something this week? Well, I mean, I've been waiting more than 10 years. Mm. To 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 play this, I think we've all played it at this point. I think so. Oh yeah, but it's it's been a just an amazing ride. Um, waiting these ten years, this this anticipation for uh, the release, and I just want to know what everyone thinks of this road. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh. Mm. No? 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 Am I the only person who's been waiting 10 years for this road? I I don't what, what uh, this this I don't know this road. You don't know this road. Here, I'm going to put you no. a, put a link in to our chat. Uh, I've linked you a video. It's called September 30th, 1955, which is the date that James Dean died. This is a a a a song by Poe. The video was mm-hmm. uploaded November 22nd, 2012. Ten years ago. Over ten years ago. It was at that time, 12 years past her last released music under her name. Okay. And this is the only thing that was on her YouTube channel for 10 fucking years. Oh, wow. (laughs) But because I am an obsessive fan of her work, it is one of the five youtube channels i have subscribed to with notifications <laughs> on so when the video dropped a week ago oh. with a little teaser clip showing her pulling something out of her eye yeah i just saw that i was like what's happening here and then yeah. the next day again i have to state this is because i had notifications turned on on this one of five accounts that I care that much about. Another video was uploaded revealing that the first piece of music fully completed that she's released in 23 years is in Alan Wake 2. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I, okay, yes. That all makes some sense. It sure... I see why you were so excited. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know what that you know what that is. I weirdly have a reference point that is kind of similar to this. Um, when My Chemical Romance as a as a band broke up, and then mm-hmm. for years, like no new music could happen from them. You know what the first new piece of music with their lead singer like singing was in a long time. 
What's that? Was a beautiful track uh, that was in the end credits of the horror movie Tusk. Oh. Huh. And after years of no no music, it's like, here's this beautiful falsetto, uh, you know, gentle little track um, that is like nothing like you would expect from them, and it's buried at the end of a movie about a man being forcibly turned into a walrus. Uh, that wow. Sometimes that's how that goes. Side note, Steph, are you about to say you've never seen Tusk? I was about to confess that, and I know I need to see it. <gasps> oh, it's such a you film. I you would you would enjoy what it. What little I know about it, because I've not even like because I've been planning to watch it since it came out. I've not consumed any media about it because I know it's what I want to watch. <laughs> the best way I can pitch it to you is I've never seen a film that doesn't have Willem Dafoe in it that has such Willem Dafoe energy at points. <laughs> that it's <laughs> no one, as someone who thought they were already sold on Tusk, you just sold me on Tusk. There's, th- there's a specific flavour of overacting in places that I think you will enjoy. <laughs> okay. Uh, like, I fucked yes. Halloween up and didn't watch any sort of scary spooky oh. stuff, so... Tusk, I think, is technically in the horror realm, isn't yeah, it? Oh, so. it, yeah. Oh, it, it definitely uh, is. It might make up for that... Yeah, it might make up for missing goth Christmas uh, this week. Okay. Um, sorry, comrade, you were going to leave. So on. yeah, there's there's a bit of a history um, with Poe and and Alan Wick specifically. Her song "Haunted" um, appears at one of the chapter breaks in the first Alan Wake, and mm. she's an amazing talent. Uh, she had two albums in the in the mid to late '90s, and then got into a, uh, a dispute with her management, ah. and had been unable to record anything under her own name for at least 10 years. Um, I'm not sure what's been going on the last 10 years, <laughs> but um, her go check out her, her second album haunted, which is the, the album that the first Alan Wake track comes off of. It is a really remarkable piece of work about uh, dealing with the loss of her father. Um, some, fascinating music she runs uh through electronica jazz r&b rock just throughout uh fascinating album and it it goes along with her her brother's book uh house of leaves which some people listening to this have probably heard of i hard times ran a headline the other day that house of leaves is just infinite just for spooky people They're, they're, uh, someone they're, who tried to read Infinite Jest once. I uh, I appreciate that. They're not wrong. They're not. <laughs> they're, it's that's not an unfair statement. Although I did not appreciate the way the article was written to suggest that all of these people aren't actually reading the book, which is the joke about Infinite Jest. Um, mm. My copy of House of Leaves is dog-eared as fuck. Okay, I know you've talked to me about it before. One um, of my six copies of House of Leaves is dog-eared as fuck. The other five are pristine. <laughs> lovely. Um, but Alan Wake 2, 10 out of 10 for being a delivery vehicle <laughs> for a new Poe song, which Sam Lake actually co-wrote lyrics on. Um, yeah. Like, and that is that is a very Alan Wake thing, uh, to be yeah. so on the nose. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so... 
But I, 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 I understand there's a bit of a, uh, <laughs> an Alan Wake sticking point. So, yeah. We, we discussed this a little bit before recording um, today because I have to be very careful about how I discuss Alan Wake because if I'm not careful and I lose my composure with it, I'm going to come across like a cunt. <laughs> uh, suffice to say... I personally don't like it. In fact, I don't know if I've ever been this depressed by how much I dislike a game. If you'll permit me the indulgence, I will just sort of give a very brief overview. Because I, the way I'm feeling about it right now, where I'm just so fucking angry, um, I don't think I'll be good at discussing it. So... Mm-hmm. It's like I told told you both earlier uh, before we recorded, like I hate mind palaces as presented in media. I think Sherlock has a lot to answer for, uh, mystifying that process and making Benedict Cumberbatch throw his arms around in a way that could only be described as embarrassing. I don't like how they're represented in media. I don't like the uh, literary crutch that they can, um, that they are uh, used as. And I hate the way this game forces you to engage with it by spending half the game and completely derailing the pace of the game, in my opinion, um, by making you put photographs on a wall after every piece of new information. I've spent so much time very just just bored out of my fucking mind putting photographs on a wall by going to this this woman's mind palace and fucking... The thing that was the last straw, and I was already fucking done with it just through the sheer grinding boredom of the process. Not to mention, you can't just imagine that someone stole a necklace when we, the audience, don't even know a necklace exists. And nor do you. And it turns out to be true. Obviously, I've not finished it, but it better be revealed she's got psychic fucking powers because I will find that way more believable than you can just imagine evidence. I hold the same opinions of mind palaces and their use of uh, as a literary crutch as you do. And I also was going through some of those early hours. I'm like maybe five hours in going, you're BBC fucking Sherlock. <laughs> My opinion on the game is to a certain degree based on a theory that I do not know whether is correct or not, but my running theory is Alan Wake is a shitty writer who has written that character into existence, and some of the things going on here are Alan Wake doesn't know how mind palaces work. I think that's part of my frustration with the game, because it's not just the mm. mind palace. It's There's a lot about the game I'm finding fucking infuriating. But part of what is annoying me is the fact that In the first Alan Wake, one of the best bits about its narrative is that Alan Wake is a shitty writer. Like, that's part of it. You get these manuscripts, like these examples of what he writes. And the guy is pants. He is Mm -hmm. a hack. Um, The problem with Alan Wake 2 is the people writing the actual script are no better. And... It's hard now to get the sense that Alan Wake is a shitty writer because he's just part of of a sea of shitty writing. Yeah, I'd argue that the manuscript pages are still significantly worse <laughs> writing than the rest of it. 
one last thing I want to like put out there, because obviously, like I say, it's not just this Mind Palace shit. I, I will, of course, be writing a review somewhere down the line if I can force myself to play more of it, because I'm legit sad while I'm playing it. Also, another issue, like, the combat side of things has not been updated since 2010 or whenever it was. Still got that awful dodge. And it plays, like, because I recently replayed the other Alan White, the original, and it, it hasn't evolved in any way. But the the bit that truly fucking just made me grit my, like, grind my fucking teeth into a fine powder was, and this was related to the Mind Palace, and the sheer railroading of that concept. There is a bit where you have to um, collect a bunch of items to go and, and put them all together for this parade float. You need, like, a motor to make it move, and a knife, um, and a mask, all these things that go on the float. And... I worked out how to get one of the items and like I, like I would do if I played a video game, I solved the puzzle. I went to the place, I I did the, the, the objective, I got under there, I could see what I thought was the item to pick up but there was no symbol, no context button symbol that showed it was interactive. I went as far as to look on YouTube and I saw other people pick it up and therefore assumed that my game had bugged out. So I reloaded the checkpoint and it still wouldn't work. And then it hit me. And as I begun the process, I said to myself, if if it turns out this is what I have to do, I am going to flip my shit. So I flipped my shit because <laughs> it turns out that while I knew the solution, she fucking didn't. Not until I put imaginary photographs on an imaginary wall to tell her the solution. And I, doing it in the right order, completely trivialises the idea that there was ever a puzzle to begin with. Because, like everything in this game, she is supposed to figure everything out. And we, the player, are basically glorified camera operators. But what a shitty thing. The, the sheer railroading of forcing me to engage with some of the most boring non-gameplay I've ever experienced to put the player in a position where they can solve a puzzle and they think the game's broken because they've, they've solved it like they would in any video game. And then they remember, oh shit, I've got to put a... A, a pretend photo on the wall so she fucking knows that the thing she already knows she needs is right in front of her fucking face I am going to now very um, calmly step away from the discussion now <laughs> well as someone who believes in commitment to the bit I understand your frustration yeah they are yeah. committing to the bit I can't disagree there <laughs> I have a lot of respect for what Alan Wake 2 is trying to do in terms of making a mystery story. They are selling it like a horror. They sell it like it's a horror throughout. And it does have horror elements for sure. It also has elements that are definitely not horror and those are fucking wild. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think it is mischaracterizing itself as a horror story. Um, when in reality it is a mystery novel. Hence 
the presence of that mind palace, the murder board, and, and the way that has to be done and it's inflicted upon you. And I can understand the frustration completely of not wanting to engage with that and being forced to, 100%. If the idea of having to stop playing the action or wandering the environments to put the things on the board, if that sounds like a terrible experience, this is not for you. Which, by the way, is the dedication in House of Leaves. <laughs> Can I just add? Please. I loved the first Alan Wake, mm-hmm. which is part of what gets to me here. Sure. Because I'm all for like a sequel switching things up. I think Doom and Doom Eternal are very different, but very good experiences. This is so not Alan Wake. See, I'm... I'm, mm. In terms of, like, pacing, that's what's killing me. I talk about that a lot in my reviews. Pacing is important to me. And this stoppy-starty put photos on a board is just... No, I, I agree that it is a very differently paced game in ways that I like. Like, I like that the the pacing stops. Now, I read House of Leaves, so uh, that is... <laughs> I, mean, I love how that, like, can be the answer to anything in this. Right, but... but I read House of Leaves. <laughs> but but truly, like, I'm willing to put up with a lot of shit yeah. for, for a story. And, and if that story is compelling, if it's something that I'm interested in. And I even, I, I take a lot of joy in that novelty of being made to stop. Because I'm there for the ride. However they want to take me on that ride, I'm, I'm there for it. And in interactive entertainment, that's a dicey proposition. Taking control out of the hands of the player and forcing them to do things. And in some cases... It is a fucking disaster. If you are willing to take that ride, I think Alan Wake does some really, really interesting stuff with that ultimately. I like the sense that everything is building to something and it's showing you everything and it's making you stop long enough to see everything because being able to see all of those details, that's how a mystery story works. A good mystery story needs to set up and show the reader or consumer all of the necessary details that they would need to solve the mystery on their own. That's why BBC Sherlock sucks. Yes. And and this is a thing I did want to say, is I know I made the BBC Sherlock comparison, and I will say there are moments where this does BBC Sherlock. There are moments where this does undoubtedly... Uh, not give you any of the clues you would need to work a thing out. I 100% disagree with that statement. There is not I, a single I, moment I, in the, okay. the plot of this game I, that I encountered where I did not also encounter something that gave me the, the pieces to bollocks. put that together myself. The amount of times Martin Freeman is sarcastic in Alan Wake 2. <laughs> Completely lifted. I don't, look, if you, if you say that is the case, I will trust you on that while also going, my experience playing was, to use the first example the game throws up, how the fuck would I, the player, have known that those two people had a conversation about a necklace they stole that was shaped like a tree? Oh, that's not, 
that's not necessary for you to know at that point in the story, though. No, but no, no, no. But that is but the point I'm making, that is that in that moment, mm-hmm. a deduction as part of this mystery is made by the detective that I, the consumer, could not have made. That's another mystery. It's not presented as a mystery. It, that, that is kind of my point, is, yeah. is in that moment... It annoyed me in the way that, Al- uh, that that BBC Sherlock annoys me because the detective goes, ah, well, I've worked out this thing that I'm not showing you how I worked out and you couldn't have worked out and you just sort of know. And I'm sure that later that is building to some kind of something about how she is doing that. But in the moment, it was frustrating because it felt like Sherlock Sherlock worked out that this person's not married because of dust on the ring. Whether or not they justify that shit later doesn't take away from how it made one feel in the moment. If any piece of media has spent hours pissing you off with plot contrivances and it, like just infuriating levels of asshole bullshit and then at the end says, ah, but you see... It wasn't bollocks the whole time. I still felt like I was experiencing bollocks. I get where you're coming from on that. I I understand that. And I think that, honestly, I think that this is a function of so much bad media storytelling that we have consumed over the years that we've lost faith in a piece of media's capacity to earn what it's doing. I don't think we're wrong to feel that way is is what I'm getting at. I think that is 100% earned by the climate, but at the same time, and this is me, I'm I was willing to give Sam Lake the space. I want to be clear about my stance of where I'm at so that like I I'm not misconstrued. Sure. I am ultimately on the side that you're on on this Conrad in that I am playing this with a Initially, I was a little frustrated, and then I came up with a plausible excuse in my head and went, yep. I'm willing to trust that even if the thing I am guessing is going to happen isn't ultimately the answer, I trust that there is a deliberate direction to this. I am not as frustrated by it as you are, Steph, but I can 100% understand that frustration because after that conversation about the necklace uh, near the start of the game, I did have about 15 minutes where I was like, do I hate this game? And I came around on it, but that is a like definitive barrier that like I could totally see myself have got- gone the way you went, Steph, which was, is this going to annoy me so much that I can't put it aside and enjoy the rest of the game in the meantime? And I can't, f- I can't disagree with that position at all like it's totally fair to um find this frustrating um i think that the story is well it's 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 built in a deliberately confusing way and that can be uh, a challenge to deal with and it's not perfect uh for sure i do think that it ultimately accomplishes the goals that it has and i do think it is ultimately a satisfying story but i would not fault anybody for not wanting to deal with it um you do have to go in willing to just sort of accept things um for a while and 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 hope that they'll get explained yes and i'm not gonna say that that is quote-unquote textbook good writing i think that it is expecting a lot of an audience that 
you as a writer have to expect a certain degree of audience will not buy in. There's also like just the the problems inherent to what they're attempting to do in the broader remedy games sense, right? Yeah. Like the introduction of Alan Wake into control. I thought was, That is a choice they they made. They made that choice and I thought it was very it was it was an interesting choice and one that filled me with a sense of mild dread. The conclusion of the expansion material in Control makes some implications about the functioning of that world. They could have gone two directions with Alan Wake's inclusion in Control. And the direction they chose is not the one that I would have chosen. Mm. Furthermore, when we get to Alan Wake 2, the presence of Control in that narrative, you know, some of the things introduced, I find that to be a bit much. Yeah, I... Alan Wake is one of those things that were... It, it was a self-contained thing that I don't feel like needed to be part of a bigger world. Yeah, and the extent to which that bigger world is now intruding, it maybe isn't the best word, but is now involved in the smaller story. It feels weird. I'm not crazy about it. I, I don't want... I love control, but I don't necessarily want it in everything. That relates to one of the things that I think that they've really demonstrated in Alan Wake 2 as a studio is their ability to build upon and take what they've learned with subsequent games. This game illustrates it so well because of what it does in terms of showing you other worlds. I mean, all right, let's just say it. The Dark Place is like fucking Max Payne. Yeah. Yeah, that it is. You know what makes me laugh about The Dark Place? Because this involves hack fucking writing. All I can hear is, I'm Garth Marenghi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of actually subtitling my review, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> it's, uh, the first ten minutes of the game fucked me. Um, and so I'm gonna, t mm. I'm gonna tell this because if you're gonna play it, you're not gonna be spoiled in the first ten minutes. Um, but if, if that bother, if that concerns you, then, you know, go, go a few, I don't know, skip a few minutes. Sam Lake was the model for Max Payne, right? Sam Lake was the model yeah. for Max Payne and he was the, he's the model for Alex Casey, the Alan Wake created detective character who is exactly like Max Payne and makes me think that if they hadn't sold Max Payne to take two, this would just be Max Payne. <laughs> then you have like the actor performing live action motion capture and the inspiration for the previous character originally and it's just like oh god what are we doing here what is what is our what level of meta reality are we functioning on with the telling of this story um mm. you know and, and but everything in alan wake 2 feels like it is put together from building blocks that they established in previous games. Um, the the narration coming from, you know, originally Max Payne, and they've carried that through perspective shift, or the use of players' perspective to play tricks on them in terms of navigation and things like that. They did that really well in Control. That carries on here in some really interesting ways. Uh, oh, the, the visual presentation with the overlays and and the narration. I love Love those. You know what I could do without the screaming, flashing 2000s 
jump scare shit. From an accessibility perspective, the fact that those like full screen rapid flashes cannot be reduced or turned off is fucking ridiculous. It is, yes. And I'm startled then annoyed. Like, it's not that they're ineffective. I don't want to say that they're not effective. Yes, they're effective at achieving the goal of, like, startling me. Good job. But it doesn't need to be done anywhere at all, really. It doesn't need to be done at all, but it certainly doesn't need to be done to the extent and frequency with which Alan Wake 2 does it. That sucks. And it really sucks that there's no way to adjust it for accessibility purposes, because, um, yeah. Yeah, that blows. Yes. I like that there's so much less combat in this. I agree. I think the combat's tougher. Yeah? Yeah. Minor, little complaint I have about this, and it's one thing that's kind of stuck with me while playing, is I wish there was some option for some kind of navigation assist, because as someone that struggles with visual memory, yep. this game has a lot of dark, wet forest. Yep. And no mini-map and no otherwise indicator of where you're going. And having to... And this is this is my place where the, the mind palace frustrates me. Is as someone that struggles to remember where I'm going and needs to frequently check the map, the fact that I have to go into the mind palace, walk to the map and check the map board is like one too many steps for me. That's That's the point where that mechanically frustrates me and I don't think it adds to the narrative, or at least from what I've seen so far, it just feels like a barrier between me and a tool I need to be getting around that world that isn't terribly clear about where I should be going. Uh, that is my biggest mechanical issue with it. And that map sucks. I see why they chose to do it this way. Like, I get it, because you they're trying to make you feel disoriented in that environment because it is so samey. The areas are really well designed and detailed but the paths are hard to see in the dark and yes. you know and and yeah that's a choice that they made i think specifically to make you feel lost but i do not disagree at all that the access to the map if it had a dedicated button i probably yeah. I, I probably wouldn't be as as bothered by it and yeah and i had to deal with it a lot because I have nearly 100%ed this. It sucks. The map is is not great, and I I get it. Um, I just I, I don't have to like it. I'm glad there's less combat too because it's not good. Combat in, in Alan Wake's never been good. Yeah, that, I mean that's the thing. Um, yeah. and and it's part of my sort of frustration here is it plays like it did in in. The early 20s hands. Yep, And I'm someone that likes to see games sort of evolve a little bit in areas where evolution is needed. I know some people justify bad combat in some games with, well, combat's not the point, to which my answer has always been, well, why put it in? Like, don't make me engage with something if you can't be asked. I think the bad combat in Alan Wake 1 served a narrative purpose in that Alan Wake is not a warrior by any stretch, but that doesn't change the fact that it still sucks yeah it doesn't change the experience yeah it fit within the narrative cohesively but you're right it's not yeah. fun combat and that that jumps me on to something that i have tended to rant about before in the past um i consider it one one of the most harmful things to the development of horror games survival horror in particular was what i consider 
the great lie of bad controls. The belief that Resident Evil was scary because the controls were shit. And and I think that had such a bad influence on, on horror gaming and our attitudes towards it. I don't think it's that the controls are shit in Alan Wake, though. I think no, that it's the no, camera I, and, and the movement, the AI of the enemies. I wasn't making the one-to-one comparison. Sure. I was just saying that like it's all part of a broader issue I have with this idea of do we make gameplay bad on purpose and when we justify that? Right, but that narrative thing doesn't work in Alan Wake 2 anyway. Yeah. Because well, I the, mean, half yeah. the game is played with a character who is perfectly capable. And the thing is, is Silent Hill 2, the character isn't, isn't a combat veteran there, but and, and he isn't good at fighting, but you can also avoid 90% of the combat. Whereas here, it, it railroads you. I will say in Alan Wake 2, a lot of combat is much more avoidable. A lot of it, not all of it. And the stuff that you can't avoid is really fucking harsh sometimes. Yeah, yeah the boss encounters are, are a lot in this. Look, I put this game on easy because I know that I don't enjoy shooters at the best of times. And, like, yeah, e- even even on easy difficulty, the bosses are a bit of a spike. The fact that those are most of the fights I've had have been the bosses, you know, a lot of it is dodgeable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, talking of dodging... How do you get on with the dodging in, in the Alan Wake games? Because I've never gotten on with it. It's mapped to L1, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's a weirdly unintuitive place to map it. That's my main thought. It, it My brain doesn't think of that to dodge. Yeah. I've never nailed the timing. And I've been playing Lords of the Fallen. Like I have been dodging like a motherfucker. But there's some... There's some weird disconnect between the telegraphing of enemy attacks and the dodging. Mm. And I always, and this was true of Alan Wake, the first one as well, I'm always getting hit. I got on better with it in Alan Wake 1, truth told. Um, yeah. I, that, the, the, I don't know if the window was a little bit wider or it was a, you know the difference in where the camera is positioned over the shoulder that I was able to, to see it and time it better, but... I struggle a lot with the dodge in this one. Um, I I think I've only ever gotten the, you know, perfect dodge with the slow-mo like half a dozen times. It's not good. It's not a good dodge. The the combat overall is is not great. And the other thing, you you mentioned survival horror. This uh, I've heard Sam Lake in a couple of interviews here refer to this as a survival horror game. Really? Yeah, I don't see it. No. I really, I, I truly don't. There is inventory management. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're having to manage the inventory and it's a problem, then you have bigger problems, I think, in terms of your ability to address the combat because it certainly supplies yeah. you with plenty of equipment and ammunition to do it. And, you know, you're just tossing stuff away yeah. for the most and part. Th- while it has combat, for the most part, this is more of an adventure game. It really is. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, with perhaps elements of walking sim in a non-derogatory fashion. This has more action than an old-school adventure, but that is ultimately, I think, what we have here. Yeah. I don't disagree. I'm only, like, five hours in, and the feeling I have right now that might not stick through the experience is a lot of the things it's doing, it feels like this game is going to ultimately justify by 
these are the conventions of the genre within within which we are existing, be that horror or uh, detective mystery or whatever genre. The sort of point that Alan Wake 1 finished on, that the way that the powers involved in this setting work is that you have to write within what is believable within the conventions of the piece, like the genre of media. And the problem I have, and the thing that I hope to see addressed, we'll see, is the fact that the best pieces of media in a given genre are the ones that know when to break convention and when to not just do the thing because it's the convention of the genre and how to walk that line. I'm currently kind of hand-waving this in my playthrough as Alan Wake is a shitty writer who cannot see beyond the most tropey existence of the genres that he has focused his writing on. But it does feel like, you know, I look at this as a detective game so far and go, this is not as detective game a detective game as it would be if it wasn't Alan Wake. It is it is shying away in some respects from being a detective game because it has to also be an Alan Wake game at the same time. The dance between how much it it exists within genre conventions and does so knowingly or not is something that I am too early to really know how I feel about, and so much of it is going to depend on how it sticks the landing. It is a game that, like, I have been going through this, like, moment to moment, generally really enjoying this game, while having no idea what's going on or where it's going and whether I'm going to like it by the end. That 15 minutes or so of frustration after the necklace thing aside, I think the way I keep going is I'm enjoying this right now, I don't know if I'll later hate it, but right now I'm here for the ride. (laughs) I'm sure I will have more thoughts about Alan Wake by next week, once I have seen it through. Uh, Did anyone else have anything else they want to say about that? Or... Uh, just 55 minutes into it. <laughs> just that I think it is a, a really enjoyable game with a lot of caveats. Like, and, and it is certainly not going to be something that all or maybe, I, I mean, I don't want to say most, I think most people can find some enjoyment out of this game. And I do think that the story is really interesting and it, I, you know, I'm I'm usually the guy who bags on narrative in games a lot, and um, and this is not perfect, certainly, but I am impressed with the audacity and the extent to which I think it is successful within that audacity. Mm. It's it's an interesting work. I am hoping to feel very similarly to that by the end. Yeah. Like, I'm okay with having some problems with it. I I hope it sticks to the landing enough that that's the sort of way I walk away from it. Yeah. What else has been played? Can I talk about a thing I'm just uncritically loving I'd this love week? I'd love that. Yeah. Um, I've been playing Dave the Diver, ah. which I don't know if either of you have played. Oh, yes. I keep meaning to play this. I've I've seen it so highly praised that I do need to play it. I, I've been in a similar position and it just came out on Switch this week and I was like, okay, fuck it. Good excuse to, to get around to it. This game is fantastic and I understand all of the hype that people have for wow. it. Um, on the surface, it is a pretty simple premise. You are a guy called Dave who enjoys sushi and kind of got tricked by a friend into being the diving person who collects 
you know, fish for a sushi restaurant that he is starting up. A lot of people around around your character, Dave, probably taking advantage of his good nature a little bit, but you are basically, the game is split into two halves. Uh, on, on paper, it is go dive underwater and collect a bunch of fish and go exploring and do a bunch of upgrades to like be able to explore in more kinds of different ways. And the other half is a restaurant simulator where you are like picking the menu for the day based on the fish that you have caught and running things frantically back and forth uh through dinner service to try and bring people their meals on time without getting into like the other mechanics and narrative elements that sort of like build on top of that base the core of the game is really good the way that the diving mechanics work and a lot of these things can be uh, upgraded as you go uh, go through is basically you have a limited amount of oxygen you have a carrying capacity for what weight of supplies you can bring back up to the surface. You can go over it a bit and get encumbered and swim slower, but eventually it'll be like you cannot pick anything else up. You can kind of make these dives go on essentially as long as you want them to. There's usually a lot of like, oh, you found a discarded uh, oxygen tank somewhere down underwater or a clam that had air bubbles in it or some, you know, thing like that. So if you want to keep exploring, you can. And as you go further down you will start finding fish that will be a bit more aggressive, and sometimes you'll have to avoid attacks and, like, maybe fight off a, a shark with a knife a little bit to get, like, a shark's head for some soup. And your oxygen meter sort of doubles as your health meter in that regard. I really enjoy, like, the the way that this game layers at a pretty good pace lots and lots and lots of additional mechanics and things to be doing around that. One of the things I think it does best is its pacing. Like, in its first, like, four or five hours, basically between every single dive you do, you will get some NPC come up with something for you, be it I've given you a little, uh, here's an Ash Ketchum ripoff who's giving you a Pokedex to catalogue all your fish, or here's a person who's going to teach you about, like, ecology and you can go start doing ecology missions, or this person who wants to research whether merfolk are real. And that sounds like it would be an overwhelming pace to do these things, but, like, on average I found one of these dives is maybe 15 to 20 minutes if you are, like, having a good explore. And having that, like, 15 or 20 minutes of doing mechanically the one thing you know, and then it's like, cool, we introduced, like, one additional thing to to optionally think about while you're down there. That pace really well balances, like, Lots and lots of novelty and making it feel like there is a lot going on without it being overwhelmingly thrown at you. You always have at least a 15 to 20 minute dive to go, This maybe this is the dive where I focus on learning that new thing. Similarly, I really enjoy the restaurant management side of it that, that exists. It's very basic. Every night you pick a certain number of recipes to uh, to make. There's a chef that handles making them. You just run back and forth frantically picking up plates and bringing them to people and doing a silly little mini-game with an analogue stick where you try and pour some green tea in a cup without spilling it that has some bonkers little physics going on. Uh, you can do things like hiring additional staff to help ferry plates back and forth or to help cook things in the kitchen to make that a little easier. But generally, it's maybe like three or four frantic minutes. It doesn't outstay its welcome. You get your little bonus on your move. But the thing about it, I think, that like really elevates it above that, like that solid starting point, is the characters and the uh, the animated cutscenes that go alongside them. This game's cast of characters is wonderful. 
They are eccentric little weirdos who all have their own things going on, and I am delighted every time that I get an opportunity to interact with them, because I might get a ridiculous but gorgeously animated pixel art cutscene of, um, I don't know, for example, a man sat at his computer who is uh, building a gun for you in an anime magical girl transformation sequence. Uh, Shit like that. And there is so much of this, like, external presentation around what you're doing that really sort of, like, elevates the way it's presented. I am consistently surprised at how much of that there is going on. I'm I'm getting far enough into it now that there is, like, weird little supernatural elements starting to get involved. Uh, Like, the world is clearly much bigger than you are just a diver going for a swim. And I think they do a good job of, like, not pacing that poorly. I very much think they do a good job with, um, sometimes you'll get special customers come into the restaurant that are after a very specific dish you're going to have to find some very rare ingredients for. They give you several days worth of multiple dives a day to get that done. They do not put, like, ridiculous time pressure on you to do those hard-to-find things so that it doesn't feel quite so much like, oh god, if I don't find it on this dive, everything's fucked. It all comes together to be a game I am just... I have no complaints about it. I understand why people were, like, going on about it as much as they were. It's such a simple premise, but so exquisitely executed and charmingly presented. It is a delightful game that I really do recommend checking out. Nice. I will I will play that. Yeah, I've it's been on my to-do list. I need to get through a bunch of review stuff first, but I really want to jump on it. It's a good game for, like, I've got 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and I want to just do a thing for 15 minutes, and it's not like I'm going to forget what I was doing. I was going for a dive and then bringing people food. Um, yeah, who else has played anything else they want to talk about this week? Uh, I can talk a bit about Robocop. Hmm. Yeah. That's... Oh! Yeah, uh, Robocop it made didn't look by promising. Nacom. Well, I mean, it's got... What had people excited is the dev. Mm. Uh, Nacon did that Terminator game from a few years ago. The uh, one that was like, wow, this is solid. Hmm. This is not a mind-blowing, um, you know, transcendent experience, but it's so solid and it inhabits that sort of focus home interactive strata of game right like it's not published by them but it's got that this is a bit janky clearly like like got resource limitations on the dev side Mm. but it's fucking scrappy and it's fucking trying can i ask you one question about it yeah do you feel suitably overpowered in this Ah. and by that i mean like how much do you feel like you can take a bit of a shooting and just be okay still? Right. It's on that line. Mm. You can take a good pounding. Uh, can't we all? <laughs> yeah. You can't indefinitely stand out in the open. But for the first half of a combat encounter, let's say, there is a lot of fun in stepping out and just yeah. blasting. You can take a few seconds just going... I'm just going to shoot at you for a minute. Uh, Okay. You start with three healing items 
you can only ever have three, but uh, the pickups are sort of liberally spaced out enough. And you press that, and it'll just, like, pump your health back up. And some areas, they're not too generously dished out, but for the most part, you can take the risk. Hmm. Where it's like, you know what? It's just going to be more fun to be all da na 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 and just sort of, yeah, clomp out there shooting hmm. stuff. So there is some of that. You can use skill points to bump that up. I've only just started putting some skill points into armor, but even in the early things, you, you start negating quite a bit of damage. Hmm. Like there's one where I think it like uh, temporarily absorbs 80% damage or something. It's quite a lot. And there's a lot of um, steps in maxing that out. Defense and vitality are two different things. So you can bump up your health and your shields. And, you know, it takes some investment. But it only takes two skill points in vitality. I think it's two to start being able to use little power boxes on walls Mm. instead of your healing items. So you get that extra healing. So with the right combination, you can take a Robocop that can take a bit of a dent and turn him into fucking Robocop. Okay, yeah. That that, that reassures me. Yeah. (laughs) And normally, like, I, I don't like the, the practice of what I call skill paring, where you feel you've got to make a big investment to get up to par with, with what you'd expect mm. from a game. But I think, to its credit, it does enough to make you feel like a fucking part-man, part-machine. And then you can only get better from there. I think it's helped by your gun, which starts off powerful potentially gets outclassed but with further investment gets fucking gorgeous so you've got the gun that's in robocop's leg the proso 9 or something and when you start the game with it like it's such a fucking hand cannon it's what you want from Mm. robocop's gun and the headshots are so juicy like these guys pop and it's not just heads, like, y- you can blast their hands off and they're looking at their stumps going, my hands! So that's fun. You always have that gun and then you can have a secondary weapon. And for about the midsection, like, like for a lot of the time I've played, because I've been mainlining this game, like, I've put a ton of hours in already. The secondary guns, some of them can outclass your default, like... Some of the SMGs just chew through guys, but as well as having a skill line for damage, one thing I like, by the way, is the skill progression. They're separated into like a whole bunch of little blocks that you activate by putting a skill point in, and every block gives you a straight percentage upgrade to a thing, and then certain blocks give you a big, like, skill enhancement, which is just nice. Like, for example, the scanner. The skills that are on the scanner, you can detect, like, you can mark all the enemies if you use Robocop vision, which is just holding down the left trigger and, like, targets are all highlighted. And there is, oh, God, it's so situational, but so good when you use it. If you upgrade the scanner enough, you get the ricochet, which, when you... 
hold the trigger to highlight targets. It also highlights little blocks on the wall that you can shoot instead. And the bullets ping off it and hit guys hiding behind cover. <laughs> it's so fucking cool. I've barely used it, like barely found places to use it, but I don't regret the investment. But as you edge towards those skill unlocks, everything you unlock along the way just passively extends the range of your scanner. And that also lets you see like item pickups and stuff, which is really cool. I was getting somewhere with that. Right, the gun, yes. So as well as having an entire skill line that just boosts your, your damage... The gun itself has this really interesting puzzle upgrade mechanic where you find motherboards that have different upgrades on them connected by wires. You have a set of tiles with different connectors that you use to unlock those nodes. It Think of like the hacking minigame from Bioshock. Mm. where there is a power source and you're guiding it with pipes, except the pipes in this case are guiding you towards power-ups. And it's not timed or anything, but you use these little circuits that direct where the power goes on these tracks. So you can cut the line off somewhere, which you want to do, because there are downgrades on there as well. So the idea is to use the different circuits you have, the different nodes you have, send the power in certain directions to avoid the downgrades. I didn't like this at first, but I've become weirdly absorbed with it. As well as like a bunch of regular stats like, you know, straight damage boosts, reload speed, all of that. Every different circuit board has their own combination of bigger one-off upgrades, such as never needing to reload the gun, which is fucking good. Because it's got that hand cannon property, but you just have to press down. I've gotten more extravagant circuits since I got that one, but I've not changed. Because it's just so useful. There are things like... Uh, some of those upgrades let like give each bullet a chance to split. Um, so you're dealing extra damage at close range because you're shooting two bullets instead of one. There's one that just enhances the gore effect. <laughs> That's all it does, is it makes things shot with, with Robocop's hand cannon. It just makes them juice more, which I, I find very charming. So I'm at the point now where I spent some time with the gun feeling a little outclassed compared to SMGs. Shotguns are shit, by the way. But now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't want to use anything else. And it's awesome. And because you can change the gun's behavior with some of these upgrades, you can keep that feeling fresh if you want. Because there is one where you can uh, continuously fire if you hold down and not need to reload. There's one that makes it a single shotgun, but deals massive damage with it. So you can turn it into like a proper magnum feeling thing. So yeah, in terms of feeling Robocop-ish, you've got those elements. Mm. You can also pick up any enemy if you're within range. And you. what I like is is you can be like maybe one or two meters away and he'll just sort of zip and close the distance. So you don't have to like get right up close to enemies, which isn't fully advisable because I did mean to say like, there are these moments where you have taken enough damage where you feel a bit unrobocopish because you got to hide around a corner and then you mm. get careful. Um, 
It's great up until that point. And that point <laughs> isn't too bad. But yes, any fucking enemy. Except, well, I'm at a point where there are like other robots and obviously you fight an ED-209. That's not even a spoiler. But any of the regular rank and file guys, you just grab them by the neck and then throw them. And you just throw them at other guys or you just bash them against a wall. Like, it's it's lovely. So I really like that. The story is, it's not got the, I mean, how could it have the satirical edge that Robocop has? Like, Robocop is one of the best comedy movies, like, ever, in my opinion. It's up there, yeah. It's so fucking, like, it's beautiful satire. And this game, I mean, video games, I don't think. as At a certain point in the game's market, they're just never gonna like be bold enough but it does have its moments robocop himself is fucking funny in in this game his one-liners are just so fucking cheesy it's really good and he does the whole you know he's got that really flat monotone delivery that is employed really well for like comedy effect as he just no-sells things and delivers like these really fucking gung-ho one-liners, but in that flat robotic way. There are moments of satire. There's one lovely bit where this guy has crossed some drug dealers and the drug dealers have him cornered and they start ranting at him about he's undercutting the prices and it's unethical because pricing below the market can be really predatory and exploitative. And they just give him a fucking lecture on antitrust practices. And it's just (laughs) fucking charming. It's really delightful. Uh, There are radios that play little, like, commercials and things, and one is, like, about sleeping tablets for kids to stop them asking questions about, like, whether dad doesn't have a job and they're poor. So you could just send them to bed because you deserve peace of mind too. The the overall plot is so-so. Nothing to write home about. But it has some real moments. And like Terminator, it's got that janky scrappy charm. And whereas the Terminator game was like a very, very stripped down uh, Fallout, like modern Fallout, This is a very, very stripped-down deus ex, which I think fits Robocop perfectly. I mean, it's even set in Detroit. So you have these, like, little map sections in between levels. Um, You're in this section of downtown Detroit that has a bunch of side quests dotted around and that. So it's a very sort of bare-bones deus ex. And I love it. I really like it. It's, It's very basic, but it does the job. And it does it fun. And Nacon, I think they've hit again. And I hope they carry this on. Like, they can take 80s movies and turn them into these mid-tier games for as long as they keep them good. I would love to see them do Rambo. I would love to see them do Aliens. I'd love to see them do a Predator game. I think they'd do a great one. But yeah, Robocop. I, especially if you liked Terminator... This is well worth fucking looking at. There's a demo as well, if you want to check that out. Nice. Uh, Conrad, do you play anything else this week? Nope. Cool. I've got one other thing, and I'm going to I'm gonna rattle through it really quick. 
Uh, I've been playing a rhythm game on Switch. It's called Spin Rhythm XD. Mm. Uh, really neat concept. It is a music rhythm game where your Guitar Hero style, like all the notes flying at you, is happening on like a cylinder. And you are controlling a circle that you can rotate around the cylinder that alternates between pink and blue. And if a blue note is coming, you rotate that so that the blue is where the blue note's going to come in. If pink's coming, you rotate so a pink bit is where the pink's coming in. Sometimes you press a button at the same time, and sometimes you spin to one side or the other and sort of dramatically press a button to stop the spinning on, on the beat. I've not played a music rhythm game that had analog control rather than like digitally pressing buttons be its primary way of engaging with rhythm, and it works really well here. The big thing is that the notes that are coming towards you are smaller than the sections of colour that you're lining up, which means you have a little bit of uh, wiggle room there. I also really appreciate little touches like if you have to like spin your band of colours, you know, one way or the other and then like press to stop, it'll always stop so that the next colour note that's coming in is already in the correct place for where it needs to be for that note. So you exit a spin already in place for whatever note comes next. That's a really solid design. I'm having a good time with it. It's a music rhythm game, not a huge amount to say other than it's an interesting concept and I think it works well. Steph, you played anything else before we move over to news? I think I well, I've been I played a lot more Lords of the Fallen. Uh they do seem to have fixed the multiplayer. And that's fucking great. As a Souls like that has been given one hundred percent co op. You can just play anywhere for as long as you want with someone. It's great. I made a little friend playing it. Helped him get through this big sort of tower. And then he helped me get through the big tower in my game. And it was just nice. Yay. I love the aesthetic still. Really got absorbed in the gameplay. And it's striking how much of a difference consistent, persistent co-op is in these games. Mm. It's just made me that much more into it. Yeah. Especially because some of these like bosses, I don't think I'd have gotten through them on my own like i'll straight up admit it some of them are just so harsh which ones did you have some bullshit with uh did one of them involve fire on the floor by any chance i i know the one you mean i did co-op that with someone well i helped someone in their game and then i co-opted with someone who killed it in two seconds (laughs) (laughs) um so i have seen what it's like because i helped someone else do it that is a tricky one i'm trying to think of the ones that really got me Ones that rely on those little ghosts that make them invincible, like give them massively regenerating health, and then also have little mooks. Like there's one that leads to the ice level, the sort of the gatekeeper there that is surrounded by wolves and has those little fucking things. And it's too, it, for me, it was so much, it was so much harassment. And there are just some bosses that are just so relentless or are backed up that I'm like, yeah, I need someone to take help take the heat off me so I can do the other part of this. But I don't mind it for the fact that co-op is, now that it works, I really wish I'd have had a lot more fun if co-op had worked for that first week. There is a lot about this game that really feels like it would have benefited from like just a week to 
finish fixing some stuff up yes. before it came out. It is a shame it released in the state it did and not the state it is in today. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, other than that, with co-op, I think it's one of my favourite Souls-likes. Right, I, it's, I think it really there's, is. There's something really good there. Yeah. It's it's got its little problems, but I do I do have a soft spot for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's it's so derivative, but you know, my golden rule is if you're not gonna do it new, do it well. And they do it well. The stuff that is a little more original, even though it's like taken from other games, but like the Umbral Realm stuff, the the dual world mechanic is really well done. The aesthetic, that whole sort of blasphemous, overwrought religious imagery i <laughs> fucking adore it there's so many thorns on everything yeah and just that the like their commitment to the fashion souls thing like i got myself a pretty little dress from one of the bosses so many masks and so many weird helmets i'm all mm-hmm. about it. great weapons great spells like some of the spells and stuff are so p- powerful. I love that there's ranged options for strength and dex builds that do mm. not come at the expense of yes. your melee weapons. As someone who rolled Radiance, which is sort of this game's uh, version of cleric stuff, I rolled Radiance and Strength. And the fact that there are crossbows for strength. Yes. I fucking love crossbows. In, in terms of like just weapons, I'm not sure what it is about them. But I love crossbows. And they're usually, like, they're never represented well in games. I was always disappointed by how shit crossbows can be in, like, tabletop D&D. But when I've run out of MP, out of magic, where I've been hurling ranged stuff, where I want to keep a distance, having the crossbow for backup, so I'm like, okay, I've hurled all of the magical bolts I can. Let's get the fucking big bolts. And I like that ammo respawns, like MP. And you can use ammo items like you can healing or magic items. You don't have a limit on arrow or bolt types. You can Mm. equip up to three types of arrow slash bolt and they have different ammo consumptions. I love Mm. that. I've mostly gotten along just using standard bolts because now that I've upgraded my crossbow a bit, like it's fucking legit. Yeah. And I love that they've done that. Like, this is a game I think that wants you to try new things. It wants you to be versatile and doesn't lock you in too badly. Mm. You can respec. You get one affordable respec and then you have to kind of work for the others. And weapon upgrades, it's not overly complex. Uh, you can farm. And I haven't found farming too bad. Because I upgraded one weapon and, I, and then I got a man catcher. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm pregnant now and I am looking for one. So I equipped my man catcher and had to grind a little bit to get the more advanced upgrade materials. But it didn't take massively long. So I feel free to experiment with stuff. It's one of my favourite Souls likes, which is so funny when you look at the original Lords of the Fallen. <laughs> like, I, just how different. I think over time this is going to be like... It's going to be remembered more fondly as time goes on, I think. I think people are going to come around on this I hope one. so. I think it deserves it. I know the PC version is, like, is really like not well put together. Yeah. Can't say I had the same on PS5. On PS5, mm. I, I was actually... One of my praising points was like, this seems really well polished. And then I saw Casey being like, God, this game runs like fucking ass." So that's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, really, really like it. 
So with that all done, mm-hmm. uh, let's quickly rattle through some news. Uh, I know it's been a long one already, but we'll we'll crack through some of these bits of news nice and quick. First of all, more layoffs. Of course we've got more layoffs. Of course. Uh, this week's story is about Destiny 2 developer Bungie that has been laying off people left, right and centre over the last couple of days. The scope of the cuts are not clear, but a lot of people from Bungie have been sharing that they have been let go. It's certainly not just one or two people. It sucks, because it's yet another story of people losing jobs in an industry that's making more money than ever. I have seen speculation, and I don't know how much there is to this, but I have seen speculation that part of this might be to do with we are coming up to the point where people who are still at Bungie should be starting to get some shares for having stuck around post-acquisition, and that if they're not with the company for any reason whatsoever, those shares don't have to go to those employees they revert to Bungie. I've seen people who have been laid off who have gone, yeah, that timing really feels relevant. Wow. There was an update that over 100 people have been uh, laid off as part of this. Bungie's boss, Pete Parsons, described it as a sad day. His post um, was not received well. A lot of people felt like, oh, it's a sad day that we're having to say goodbye to all of you. And everyone's like, no, that's very fucking tone deaf. You let us go, probably to avoid giving us stock. No, thank you. According to a statement given to IGN, this was a decision made by Bungie. It wasn't Sony dictated. We don't know if this is definitely connected, but apparently Bungie employees were issued dire management warnings a couple of weeks ago via email, telling them that revenue was 45% below projections um, for Destiny 2. And it sure seems like that email was meant to be like, Hey, we're making a lot less money than we thought we'd be making right now. Don't worry about that. Goodbye! Oh. Uh, So that's all pretty gross. 40%. That's... Uh, 45%. That's brutal. I assumed it wasn't performing to expectations, just generally speaking, but that is enormous. The next Destiny 2 expansion has been delayed by several months, and there are rumours that their next game has been delayed into 2025. It seems like there is some stuff not going well. Wow. On top of that, let's, let's talk about, quickly, the story that has eaten up my last couple of days. Over the weekend, people started getting an error message on their Xbox, and this was first noticed by Windows Central... Error 0x82d6002 states that uh, you have connected an unauthorized accessory to your Xbox, which was not manufactured by Microsoft or a licensed Xbox hardware partner, and as such, on November 12th, less than two weeks after this notification started popping up, Xbox is just going to lock you out of using that peripheral. The official statement, if you went and got, looked up the you know support code for what, what was going on, was that Xbox seems to have made a new policy, with a two-week window for you to react to it, that all unlicensed Xbox peripherals will be discontinued support. They will be blocked from being used. To be clear, and I've seen this confusion a lot, this is not all third-party peripherals. Anything that has like an actual Xbox-branded button on it is probably fine. This issue is... Uh, 
impacting a lot more niche cases. Um, as someone that covers accessibility, this is going to impact things like people who use the Titan 2 adapter to use a PS4 controller on their Xbox because it has a symmetrical layout and is lighter in weight, which makes it easier for some people to use. It's going to impact people who use weird unlicensed controllers like uh, here's a little mini Xbox controller where all the buttons, it's much smaller. Maybe that's easier for someone who plays with just one hand to use. A lot of initial concern and confusion around this was the fact that there was like three days without an official statement from Microsoft. And one of the big areas where people were worried about it is the Xbox adaptive controller. I would say like 80 plus percent of the market of devices you plug into the Xbox adaptive controller are unlicensed third party peripherals. They're using, like, a generic standard for plugging in accessibility switches, 3.5mm adapters. It's unclear whether they even could ban those or detect whether you're using a licensed one or not, but a lot of people were going, a lot of things in my Xbox adaptive controller setup are not licensed peripherals. Three days later, we eventually get a statement, Xbox adaptive controller, USB and 3.5mm peripherals will be unaffected. But that's frustrating in its own way because it does mean that Xbox does recognise unlicensed peripherals are sometimes important for accessibility, and as such you shouldn't shut them out. My best guess at what's going on here is I don't think they're unaware of the fact that certain accessibility stuff is being shut off. What I think is happening here is, largely, they're trying to shut off access for, like, I know that there are cheating devices that have started sure. surfacing for, like, doing aimbot via USB on console. And this is probably a blanket, like, way to try and shut that out. Yeah. The problem is the lack of awareness and communication with the disabled community, because, like... There was no statement ready to go saying, hey, don't worry about your Xbox adaptive controller inputs. And there is no conversation happening about, like, we have to do this because X. We do understand that it is really unfortunate that Y will be a consequence. Well, and it just reinforces the existing problem that nobody is paying attention to these issues in a meaningful way. Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. It, it is a shame, and I'm hoping that, like, we'll see something come of this and workarounds happen, and there's some rumours that this is going to lead to Xbox loosening their guidelines around what they will and won't license so that more peripheral manufacturers can get licensed. But in the short term, it's just a lot of confusion, and a lot of people I've seen just being very disappointed that the setup that works for them in less than two weeks isn't going to work for them anymore. And that is disappointing. Get it together, Microsoft. On a similar note that we can quickly go through, Nintendo released a bunch of very strict new guidelines for if you want to run a little fan tournament for Smash Bros or something. There's a lot of stuff in there that's like just... It's just them being a bit controlling of their IP, and most of that I think is like fine and whatever. The bit that frustrated me is very similar to this Xbox story. Your tournament that you're running of like Smash Brothers can get shut down if you are found to be permitting the use of unlicensed peripherals. And what that means is, the Nintendo Switch does have an accessibility controller, the Horiflex. It's a licensed device, you can use it. But most of the peripherals you would plug into it are unlicensed peripherals. And they have not done the Xbox step of saying, accessibility controller peripherals are an exemption. Which means that tournament organisers are basically being told, 
you cannot decide to permit accessibility controllers or we we can shut your your event down for it and that's that's really shitty yeah, that sucks <laughs> and nintendo is just burying their head in the sand on the fact that that is a consequence of what they've done it would be very simple to just put an exception in for hori flex input switches but uh so that's just annoying i think the last one we'll quickly touch on this is probably the last one that's important to talk about this week uh we've brought up uh ubisoft's chief people officer a few times in recent months uh Anika Grant, mm-hmm. who was brought on to transform uh, Ubisoft's HR department after all of the, you know, abuse scandals. And she's fixed uh, everything. This is... Right? Well, she did make... She said the other week that she'd fixed everything. Um, what, Good. What, what was that, that, that quote she said uh, the other week that, uh, that Ubisoft was on the right path and was, had gotten things under control? I assume that's why... We now have the news that she's leaving Ubisoft. Oh, so she's, next said, month. she's taking a different path then, away from the yeah, path that Ubisoft she put Ubisoft on. on. Yeah, Ubisoft doesn't need her around anymore. They're they're fixed now. They're on the right path. Uh... Everything's fine again now. Eve Guillemot had some words about it. Anika has been instrumental in leading the transformation of Ubisoft's human resources and talent management function since she joined the company. No, yeah. So why are you not keeping her around then? They're gonna, at some point, look for a new chief people officer, but uh, I guess job done, she fixed it, off she goes now. I would guess far away from that company is humanly possible. Agreed. Let's see if the next person they bring also fixes everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there we go, we did it, we got, we, got, we got through, we're out the other side. We got through, that was a, that was a chunky one. Mm. Uh, it was a chunky one! Not necessarily, I mean... You know, hopefully the listeners will enjoy. Got your money's worth. Yeah. Um, speaking of money's worth, Laura, you're always hey. stacking that cheddar, and oh. we love to see the results. You can, thankfully. That that's that's good. Uh, you, you can find me at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Laura K Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Blue Sky, Mastodon, all of those things. Patreon's the one that pays the bills. If you can chuck as little as a dollar a month over there, that is what allows me to do all of the things that I do. Uh, there is an episode of Accessibility this week that went up a few days earlier than usual. Uh, it is about uh, the whole Xbox situation and what peripherals that impacts and why it's not just as simple as, oh, just just get a get a licensed controller. Like what, you know, talking about the these situations that licensing really won't cover for people. Um, so check that out. Um Twitch streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I am playing through Alan Wake 2 and experiencing it for what it is. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Instagram and Blue Sky at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman, where I did not play any Alan Wake because I didn't think that that would work for me but i do paint miniatures there and i play some other stuff come by it's a lot of fun you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that i make and licensed jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com and everything that i do online gets supported through patreon at patreon.com slash fist shark and you know who else has a patreon a james stephanie sterling 
That is true. It is patreon.com slash jimquisition. Um, you can also see me on Blue Sky, where I, I do most of my stuff now. That's Commander Sterling. I'm also Commander Sterling on Instagram. Um, my next wrestling date is... I don't think I've got another one now till November 25th. I will be back in Leeds for True Grits next uh, show at Left Bank. Uh, I've been announced for a fatal four-way match uh, with Heather Campbell. Um, a woman I've tussled with before. Uh, we've absolutely knocked the shit out of each other. Lana Austin, uh, one of the more prolific women in the UK. And ZZ, um, who is just awesome. So that would be a cool match. That's November 25th in Leeds. Um, don't know if I've got any others to announce at this. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, we'll have news on a new Spectrum show soon. Ooh, that, yes. yes, we will. Be, I've I've heard rumblings. Yeah, we're going to be working with uh, PCW um, promotion. I've worked with for a while. You know the the one in which I'm women's champion. Probably doing a joint production together, uh, possibly in the Blackpool area. So we will have more news on that soon, hopefully. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. As always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you uh, for sharing, listening, all of that good stuff. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.